Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. Again, happy Black History Month. It's Adra. And this is Nicole. So, can you imagine that we are fine? Like, I can't believe that we are in the second month of 2021. Like, it baffles me. I know, it's, it's, the, it's crazy. I was going to say the date, but I won't. <laughs> um, crazy. It's, yeah, it's insane that we're almost in spring. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. Do you realize that the sun is staying up longer? Like, yeah. it's not going down until like 5.30. So it's given us hope that, you know, we're back to brighter days, but we need to leave our houses to enjoy this weather. So I don't know when that's going to happen because it's beginning to feel like the Eglinton. I think I said it last month. But <laughs> this lockdown is beginning to feel like the Eglinton. I know. The sun, I have to say, too, it's like it's so beautiful to wake up and it's sunshine, but it's so deceiving because it as is. soon as you go outside, it's like minus 21. Mm-hmm. And this so. is for those who are listening outside of Canada. Don't the sun is the biggest deceiver in the winter. It makes everything look so beautiful and hopeful and it will make the the snow look shiny and bright. But the minute you and it, it's very deceiving because you think, oh, it's such a nice day. And then when you feel the sun on your window, it's warm. So you're like, it's beautiful. <laughs> then you go outside and then it really tells you what the weather is. And it's never ever a plus two or a plus 10 <laughs> minus something it shouldn't be <laughs> so I know indoors. <laughs> yeah it's just and and because we're all sort of stuck inside the only thing we can do is like go outside go for walks and mm-hmm. like there's a silver lining because this is the most amount of time like since COVID has started it's the most amount of time I've spent outside in the winter because oh, wow. usually my ass is staying inside, mm-hmm. keeping warm, you know. But this is the first time I feel like I've done. I mean, maybe it's too because it's like the first time I have a son, you know, mm-hmm. who forces me to go outside with him to do these things. <laughs> I shouldn't say force. I happily go outside with my child. <laughs> but it's freezing cold. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like the other day we went down the hills on his little tube um, and it was minus like minus 16 minus 17 so we didn't last long but we just needed to get out of the house yeah it's crazy that's what i yesterday for instance i decided to do pick up on groceries so Mm -hmm. when you get there you just sit in your car you call a number and they bring it outside to you right but i needed to do that because i could have easily just done the delivery but i've been indoors all week you know i had the surgery last week so i haven't been able to leave my house and i was like i need to leave my house so i just sat in the car against doctor's orders drove not even in my neighborhood i went all the way into like scarborough town center (laughs) (laughs) and I was playing my music in the car and I just got there, called, they brought the groceries to me. Then I drove home. It was just so that I could leave the house because yeah, I something. feel cabin feverish, you know? And uh, yeah, I'm not in like last time it was like, oh, we're in lockdown, you know, like let's do this. It was kind of nice because of the hustle and bustle of going into the office. But now I'm sick of it. I know the reason behind it and I'm all for it because, you know, I've lost people dear to me to COVID and I've been, and I've had people dear to me get it and I'm scared of it, 
but I'm ready to live. <laughs> you know, I, I want to go outside and meet people and go for drinks and go for go for dinner. You know, it's not, yeah. I, I miss spending money on food, like other than groceries. I'm tired of cooking. Like, it's, tired. Yeah, it's the it's the socializing thing that's mm-hmm. that's been hard. That's why it's nice. Like we had our little um, our Zoom meeting. No, not a meeting. Our Zoom cocktail hour i would say with our friends last week and that was nice to just catch up but it is it is so different to just all we do is zoom and it's virtual um i wanted to say to you how are the well you did the pickup i i've been going to the grocery store like going inside because you still can but the lineups like are insane and you know i'm not gonna bash walmart Mm -hmm. but that's that's like (laughs) well you know what like so I think I was telling you last time really quickly that mm-hmm. the last time we went to Walmart, it's just, it's just, it's getting crazy. Like it, it's gotten crazy. People are just out of hand. And, but like the last time we were at Walmart, we just had a situation with the cashier and like accusing us of stuff. And so we're just like, you know what, we're not, we're not going to come here again. So we lasted for like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> And I do try to go to other grocery stores because I, I honestly, I don't want to support Walmart. Yeah. You know, like with all the stuff that we hear about Walmart, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But when I went to the other grocery store that we usually go to or that I like to go to, which is Loblaws, the lineup was just insane. So I went to Walmart and the lineup was like even more insane, mm-hmm. but it goes faster. Yeah. The lineup just goes much faster at Walmart. And so. you know, like Walmart now you can do um, book a space to come in so really yeah so um to visit book us time to visit so you, when you get there and there's a lineup you just go to the front and then show them your whatever email to say your time is at let's say 11 a.m they will let you in so you can bypass the line oh you know what okay so this was my story then i was i was in line mm-hmm. this long line and then finally it was my turn I'm still waiting outside at this point. Mm-hmm. And then like people just started, you know, and then showing their phone to the mm-hmm. the security guard. The security guard was inside. So the thing is I thought okay, maybe they must be employees, but there was just the one lady that just went in front of me, looked at me, gave me this dirty look, and I was like, you know, normally <laughs> normally I would say something. I would be like, "Hey, there's this long ass line. Like what are you doing?" But I was like, you know what? Not today. I don't feel like fighting. I don't want to fight anybody. I just want to go to the grocery store, you know? And we hear all these crazy things that are happening, like, you know, people getting into fights. And I know everybody's like under so much stress. So I was like, you know what? If that makes you feel good that you're going to butt in line (laughs) in front of everybody, then go ahead. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not. But you know, I think the polite thing to do is for me, especially if I have an appointment at a place like a grocery store or whatever, or like when I was doing my COVID testing and I had an appointment and you see those long ass lines, I would normally tell the people as I'm going, I'm sorry, I have an appointment exactly passing the line so they don't think i am jumping the line i think yeah, it's like courteous exactly you know? it just appears disrespectful you know like that lady could have outwardly just told me if that if that was the case you know yeah it's it doesn't hurt because you know people are frustrated it's cold it's winter it's not like summer where okay if i'm standing in line big deal it's in the middle of winter we are experiencing some form of polar vortex 
I would want someone cutting the line to explain to me why. Exactly. Only because we've been standing here for a long time. Just say, oh, I'm sorry, I was already in the store. I just went to take my debit card or something. Or just say, um, sorry, I booked a slot to enter, so I'm going in. Or whatever your rate, or I'm here exactly. for pickup. Because I know, like, at No Frills, last time I went grocery shopping, I did pick up again. But at No Frills, you have to enter into the store and go to like their customer service area to pick up your groceries. So I would tell people, oh, I'm just going for the pickup. That's different. But then if I just see someone, I'm just going to be like, what are we like idiots? I know. Yeah. You just feel like we're freezing in this. And yesterday was, was it yesterday? I think, yeah, yesterday it was, it was really cold, you know? Mm -hmm. So you feel so angry and enraged, but like, because I had that incident at Walmart two weeks prior, Mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? I I just need to get the damn food and get out. So Honestly, I, just I would say if you can do pickup, because you can even pay with, if you don't want to use your credit card, you can pay with PayPal or whatever. So you can just take the money off your debit card. You shop on your computer. Yeah. Just and they often, because most of the stuff they're picking up is not in the store, it's in their warehouse. So mm-hmm. you're getting everything that's fresh and everything better looking produce or whatever i was gonna say that's my issue too with walmart the produce section is just like it's that's, that's why the, pickup is easier because they will pick the fresher ones for you i gotta do that i mean we did it once when when the last year when it first started you know lockdown mm-hmm. but um that's why i like to go to loblaws because i find their produce is way better better quality yeah. But Walmart, just Walmart, just I get it every time. I know it's a little bit, yeah, their stuff is like, uh, you know, but that's why if you're going to go to such places, especially if you're going to buy food groceries, um, fresh produce, do the pickup or the delivery option because obviously they have to make sure it's firmer, it's nicer, so it doesn't like get, you know, because too many hands have touched those ones, you know, in the store. So at least with that, you get it. You get to those, you park in one of their designated um, spots, then you call the numbers, tell them which parking, I mean, the customer service on the other end is horrible, but to be expected. (laughs) And then you, I mean, all I need you to know is that I'm here, you give them your order number, then somebody will come out. And he was very, the guy who came out, very polite. I just, you know, came, opened the door, asked for my last name, I gave it to him. Then I popped my trunk. Side of my car scrolling through my phone as he loaded the back of my car and um yeah when he was done he came over and said i'm i'm done thank you and then he walked off i drove off and that was it i got my outing out of it and my cro- groceries were nice do you give um are you supposed to give tips no you don't have no. to and it's yeah. free because delivery is like depending on the slot you book for delivery it could be up to 12 dollars, 13 dollars, but to pick up it's free Whereas yeah, it's worth it to just go pick it up. Even if you do the pickup, they charge you a fee for someone to be doing the whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at least with Walmart, it's free for that option. And then they, you know, you just pick it up. It's an out. If you want to leave your house, it is still doing groceries. <laughs> but you're that's, not. That's the outing of 2021. That's the outing for now, for the winter of 2021. <laughs> it will improve. At least February 9th, we're supposed to be off lockdown there'll be more restrictions that I hope we can at least do small gatherings indoors. And if that happens, I would love to have you guys over for dinner so we can catch up. 
Seriously. I will actually cook for you guys. Even though I'm sick of cooking, <laughs> I will cook for you guys. We'll get some wine. We can chill, laugh, and no. that's it. We'll not invite anybody who's bringing drama. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. But then it'll just be us doing the catch up. But anyways, we only yes, have anyways. time left. So before our guests come on today, which I'm very excited about. So why don't we go into our African excellent. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you want to take that one, Nicole? Sure. So our African excellence for this um, month is Cicely Tyson, who was born December 19th, 1924. She was, she lived a pretty long life, I'd say. And then passed, my, my grandmother, yeah. Yeah, so 96, and she passed away um, a couple of days ago two days ago um and so she was an american actress and a a fashion model and in her career which spanning more than seven decades she became known for her portrayal of strong african-american women tyson was the recipient of three primetime emmy awards four black reel awards one screen actors guild award one tony award an honorary academic academy award (laughs) I need to stop thinking about my work. Sorry. Academy Award and a Peabody Award. So I can't believe she was 96. She looked yes. amazing. I feel I feel like she's our she was our longest living black entertainer. You have I, to fact check that. I don't know. Yeah, we have to fact check that because I feel like she was because she was around like I mean over seven yeah. like we all grew up knowing Cicely. Yeah. I grew, my mom grew up knowing her work. Exactly. I grew up knowing my work. Even Ari, who is just six months, <laughs> is growing up knowing of Cicely Tice, even though she died this year. <laughs> well, kids, kids would know her because wasn't she... Let me fact check this before. No, maybe it wasn't. Um, no, okay, anyway, sorry. Yes, to go back, everybody will know Cicely oh, Tyson Tyson. in their lifetime. Her works um spanned seven decades which is i mean she and betty white are we're going toe for toe so um it's definitely a loss to the black community to the world um such a talented woman i i think we can all name a few movies that we've seen her in or tv shows she was working till the end you know like this is um she just released a book a few days prior to her death so yeah it was a her memoir so that's why she was trending so it's so weird Um, she this happened but you know she had a long fulfilling life and maybe it was she had to release that memoir so she can be that was her gift to us as she was passing yeah what a what a timely like a timely launch and and passing do we know what she passed of i mean I 96 natural, natural causes yeah but she just did an interview i think a day before she came on one of these shows i think a day before she died yeah so okay. it speaks about she wasn't sick it was just like peaceful transitioning to her next life anyways before um our guests join us let us go into um our next segment which is a african quote from black history quote um since we're in the history black history month i wanted to talk about and it's also the month of love valentine so i wanted to us to um have a quote that reflects both from a, a pioneer of and a fighter of apartheid our dear father 
Nelson Mandela, he said, no one is born hating another person because of the color of their, of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love for love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposites. And it was said by the great Nelson Mandela. Can you actually say that there's, there's anybody in your lifetime that you've actually hated? Like, I can't, I can't think of anybody I that I can use I, such a strong word. I dislike certain people, mm -hmm. but hate is... Um, my mom, my parents taught us never to hate anyone, even if they, mm -hmm. no matter, they might have done painful things to us, but to hate is to pretty much want them dead or killed. Yeah. I mean, I don't even hate Donald Trump. <laughs> I feel sorry for Don. Yeah, he's, he's, you know he's a bad human being. Yeah, that's it. I don't hate him. Some days I wish him, I want him to know the pain that people face mm -hmm. by experiencing some his, on his own, but I don't hate him. So there's nobody I hate, honestly. I, don't. I, I think like you have to be in a certain frame of mind or like you have to be really enlightened to understand how strong the word hate is because... Yes. Like, for sure, there's so many people that have shown, like, I can honestly say that Donald, the opposite, uh, Donald Trump hates a lot of types of groups of people and obviously, like, you know, shares his sentiment on that so that his little trumpets can do do the deeds kind of thing and, and, and do these hateful um, actions to to various groups and things like that. But... Yeah, I think it's like to really understand that hate, to hate somebody is really to like, let's, I want this person dead. Yeah, it's a big word. It's a big word. Anyways, um, well, now that we've done that, today on our show, we have two people who are very, 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 and I always say this about people, <laughs> but these two are very special to me, very close to my heart. They are a couple and um, they are here to discuss some amazing things that they are doing on the continent. And because it's Black History Month, I didn't want us to go back in time and talk about Black history. I wanted us to talk about Black present and Black future. And these people demonstrate what Black present look like, looks like and the Black future looks like. And um, they were once here in this part of the world. They were schooled here and all of that, but they moved back. And they've been making um, changes in their own little way to bring change to the continent. So, um, yes, one of them, one of the, the, the women is very close to me because she is my little sister. <laughs> mm -hmm. She is my little sister. Um, when I say little sister is our parent, our mom, my mom and her dad are siblings. And so she's my cousin, but we grew up together. She grew up as my little sister. She grew up as our shadow. Um, and to see the amazing things that she's doing is just monumental. And she's here with her husband, who's doing great work. And we want to talk to them today. And, and, and give them a platform to show all the great things that they're doing within yeah. their field, which we'll find out. So let's take a quick break and we will be right back. I get the bottle girl talk. Put the body on call. I took the honey on top. I put the money on top. I put the money on the money on falling in love. So she's feeling my G, she's feeling my style, she's loving my touch. Take it low. Your waist is taking over. 
Welcome back, everyone. So we have our guest here with us. I did a little bit of an intro of how they mean to me, but I'm going to formally introduce you. I would like to introduce you to Mansa and Chinedu Igbokwe. As I said, Mansa is my little sister. Chinedu is my brother-in-law. So anyways, um, Mansa and Chinedu, can you please tell us a little bit about yourselves, what you do for a living, and the nature of the business you own, or where do you work? Um, so hello, everyone. I'm Ajoa Mansa Coleman. I'm the Sustainability and Advocacy Manager for Dow, um, a large uh, material science company um, that's multinational and I currently handle sustainability for our plastics business for Africa and I'm also the country manager for our office in Ghana. However, I'm currently based in Lagos, Nigeria with Mr. Chinedu Ibokwe, my husband. My name is Chinedu Ibokwe, um, husband of Mansa Coleman. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm an electrical engineer. Uh, um, um, I guess by training, um, and then I specialize in sustainable energy. So, what, first, I want to say, Mansa, are you drinking a glass of wine? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> because <girl>. no, <laughs> I know, I know that the time, the time difference. It's, it's almost five o'clock here. So. Listen, if it wasn't, I honestly thought about drinking this morning. I was going to put a bit of Bailey's in my coffee because it's, it's what's keeping us all sane. Some alcohol, and I'm about to drink some tonight. <laughs> I was going to say, it's okay, even if, if it was 10.30 in the morning in Nigeria, that's okay. Um, <laughs> but um, so, so both of you have introduced, you know, the field of work that you're in, but you're both returnees to the continent. And, and um, we've been seeing such an influx of, of people in general, but Africans and non-Africans, so African-Americans moving to the continent. So what was your drive to move back? Um, to the continent, but maybe specifically to Nigeria. So, um, as you know, I'm originally from Ghana, and I moved back to Ghana in 2014 after being in the U.S. for roughly seven years. And for me, um, going to the U.S. was something I did um, to get a certain type of education. You know, I... I I wanted to be a chemical engineer. I was always a really technical person and knew I wanted to do something in the sciences. And I just, I saw this trend of people who were studying engineering in Ghana, either um, very quickly moving into other fields once they graduated or staying in the universities forever and becoming academics or going into research and development. And I felt like I really wanted to be a practicing engineer. And so I started to look into programs that were practical or had that aspect of um, that hands-on element. And um, I found a good program and it was in the U.S. And I basically said to my parents, I'm, I'm going to go to this school. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I wrote the SATs and did everything I had to do and then left and went to the U.S. But that's all to say that I essentially knew that that wasn't a long-term play for me, that I wasn't going to be in the U.S. long-term, right? So 
um, after going to college and then working for roughly three years in the US, um, I had a personal motivation to move. Um, there were some other factors involved, of course, but I, I just, I took the leap. I didn't even have a job on the ground. I remember speaking to my parents and my dad was like, what are you coming to do here? Like, you have a good job, you're doing well. Why would you make this change? And I just, I, I, I think I, I gave him some assurances and actually applied to um, a master's program and said to him, this is my way back in if I don't, if I come and things don't work out, right? So he felt better that I had something pending um, or a way to get back in if, if, if stuff didn't work out. So for me, this, um, you know, that was something I always looked to do. And I'm absolutely glad that I did it. Um, if, I, if I hadn't made that change, I definitely wouldn't have the job I have now um, and wouldn't have um, the husband that I have now. So um, <laughs> he's rolling his eyes at me. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> but yes, um, <laughs> that, that I think sums up sums up my, um, my, my move back. I think Chinedu's reasons are a little more dramatic. Maybe you want to talk about why you <laughs> Well, I, I love that you had like a master plan, Mansa. That's, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people, they can't, like you're definitely, I would say a visionary because you can really, you know, you, for yourself anyways, you were able to really see and you had a plan, which is great. I didn't, I, I didn't. <laughs> Me neither. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> I move both ways. Like there was no <laughs> methodology, or it was just madness. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, I wish I could say I was that smart, but I was more scared of my dad shutting down my plans. Yeah. So I needed a way to make him agree. Right? <laughs> hey, what, whatever works, whatever works. Well, let's hear, um, Chinadu. What about your dramatic, <laughs> your dramatic reasons, as Mansa says? It wasn't dramatic. I, I don't know why she's saying that. Uh, it was actually pretty uh, uh, straightforward. So I've always been in the, let's um, say, clean energy space all my career. Um, so I have been watching this space essentially all my career to to get to a point whereby. Um, there was a bigger uptick in, in this region of the world. Um, um, so around 2015 to 2017, um, with the price of solar um, getting cheaper, it, it became, and it continues to, to be more um, financially viable to deploy solar projects um, in this region with, with no um, subsidies. Um, so I had kind of always been in, uh, looking for a path here um, and then luckily in 2017, you guys voted in Trump and I'm like, yeah, that's a good sign for me to <laughs> uh, really move part of that. back now. Um, so with, uh, <laughs> it was you guys. So with that happening, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so with, with that happening, um, I, I was then extremely motivated to, to be back here. Um, uh, so I, I joined a um, startup company um, in 2017. Um, one of the early folks that joined the company helped run operations for um, about two years, so three years. Yeah, about three years, um, raised Series A funding for the company and then um, exited in 2019 to start my own company. 
Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of my, my path um, here. That's, um, I like, <laughs> yes, Trump will force us, force anyone to leave. I mean, I'm in, Ca we're, we're in Canada and I was even thinking about like, listen, Trump is in power. Whatever he does in the U.S., you know, flows through to Canada. So let me find my way out, but I stayed. But I like how both of you are very passionate about the jobs you do. Like, Chinedu, you're in solar energy. Mansa, you are sustainability and recycling and all of those things. Um, what is your drive to improve the continent, I must say, because you're based in Africa and you're doing these sustainability jobs and careers. What is your drive to improve it? Right. So I think for me, um, first of all, my company is very sustainability conscious, right? So it kind of rubs off on anyone who works there, whether you work directly for sustainability or not. And so for me, um, when I started working there, that became an area of passion for me because I suddenly noticed, and it's, it's weird, right? It's one of those things that once your eyes are open to the realities of what's happening in that space, you can never unlook, mm -hmm. you know, you suddenly really see how um, climate change is affecting everything. You notice the increased waste generation and how the systems can't cope. Um, with the waste that's being generated. You, see, you just see so many things going on around you and outside of it affecting your personal life and you thinking, how much am I consuming? Am I buying more food than I consume? Am I wasting? Mm -hmm. What do I do with my waste that's possibly recyclable? Especially in Africa where, you know, all of the waste goes into one bin and you're even lucky if you live in a community where it gets picked up by an organized system. Right. So for me, once I, I honed in on that space, it, it went very quickly from a professional drive to a personal drive for what I thought needed to happen. Um, I think, and, and don't quote me on this, <laughs> but the data says that by um, 2025, um, the waste that we've been, we were generating as of 2012 will actually be double of what it was in Africa. And you know that the systems have not changed much since 2012. The same way that your trash used to get picked up or not get picked up is the same situation today. So if we are doubling in that waste generation, which is also associated with population, by the way, what, what does that mean for us um, in terms of our, our future and, and, and what happens to our environment, right? So um, for me, looking at that specific area and how we can spur change in this space um, is, is now my work of passion. And when you think about sustainability from that and, um, and apply it to your personal life, suddenly you don't even wanna throw stuff away. And that's not to say anybody should become a hoarder, but you, you quickly realize that what you thought was waste is actually a resource and there's something that you can do with it, right? And if you can't do something with it, there's someone out there who can do something with it. So you should separate it and ensure that it goes to the right place. So on this continent, that looks quite different, um, especially uh, for a lot of the masses who maybe fall below the poverty line. There you need to um, take a different tactic, right? That waste now has become a source of livelihood to someone because they can take it and sell it onto someone else who's going to use it. And so those types of incentive-based systems and relating ways to um, people's socioeconomic livelihoods is kind of that the space I'm playing 
in now. So a lot of the projects that I set up across the region will have um, jobs created through people collecting um, what they previously considered waste, um, selling it into systems where they are then used um, either for recycling or other types of innovative um, end uses. And creating those systems, it's, it's a beautiful thing, right? I, one of my bosses always says to me, since I started talking to you, everywhere I go, everywhere I travel to, I notice piles of trash. I notice littering. <laughs> I notice when people throw things away and I'm like, this, this is what it's supposed to be, right? I want everyone to think that way, so. We definitely take it for granted. I think <clears throat> just like in our own personal lives, we take it for granted the amount of waste that we produce in our own, in our own lives. You know, I know personally, I try so hard to be very conscious about it, but it just escapes you. It's almost like this privilege of um, we're so used to it. Everything just comes so matter of factly that we don't really think about the amount of waste that we produce. Like, but some, you know, sometimes I think about the number of times I like here in Canada, they're very conscious of recycling. So we all have separate bins. There's organic and then the recycling and then the actual whatever. But the number of times I throw garbage down the chute is amazing. Like in a week, I think I take out the trash six times a week and I'm like do we it's just two of us in this house how do we produce so much waste mm -hmm. you know and it's just like I, I think about it, I'm like why are we so wasteful what are we throwing away and it's just like um this conversation is so needed um Chinedo, do you want to chime in yeah. in terms of um um sustainable energy because you guys live on the continent you're dealing with solar you think, especially in Nigeria, where I know Nepa is not your friend, why hasn't the government converted to sustainable energy, solar energy? The sun is out throughout the day, every day. So what is, um, how, what is your drive to improve the continent? And um, Mansa, I'll come back to you to give us more tips. But Chinedu, with that said, can you give us more tips on how we can be sustainable, especially on the continent? With energy, sure. Yeah, no, that's um, so. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there are many points to, to address. So, so um, starting with my my drive for the continent. I, I know I joked about um, Trump being president, but it, it was really a wake up call for me. Um, uh, so, so I strongly believe that um, for the world to take uh, the black race seriously, we need to have economic power. Um, so, so that means um, when a, a black person is being killed in America, um, if the African continent can stand up and ask for 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 response, um, they will actually get a response. That only happens if, if we have economic power. Doesn't happen if you cry about it. Doesn't happen if it's the right thing to do. It really, really happens when you have economic power, right? So there's you couldn't see a Spanish person getting killed in America without Spain pushing, asking for well, what happened. Um, so, so that's the beginning of my of my drive of okay, if we want to make Africa, the African continent an economic power, we need to industrialize. So we need to make things. Um, and to make things, you need electricity. Um, and to do it efficiently, you need cheap, uh, clean electricity that does not also pollute your air and water. Um, so that's the drive for solar for me um, in the continent, is to really help drive the industrialization of the continent, um, such that we begin to make things and become an economic power and um, that way the black race globally is taken seriously, um, wherever we are. 
um, um, so, so I think that's like step one, right? Um, and then the second thing about um, like why isn't the government doing more for solar? I, I think um, I think energy for at least for the last let's say ten years um, has heavily been moved from a government-driven activity to a private sector-driven activity. Um, so. Um, so in the classic days, with, you talked about NEPA, right? In classic days, the government ran electricity in Nigeria, um, and they chose um, uh, our sources, uh, price, distribution. It was all based on the public view, um, and that has changed. Um, people's perception hasn't changed, but it actually has changed on paper. So I mean, it's purely driven by economics now. Um, Solar is the cheapest form of electricity. It's been for the last two years. Um, um, most of the new generation in, in the US and Europe last year was solar, purely based on economics, um, very little um, um, government support. Um, you do get some tax rebates from an investor point of view, but it's very similar if you did an um, oil rig in America. So there's not that big difference or reason to do solar beyond it being hugely successful. Um, the most wealthy human being on earth now does solar. Um, um, Elon Musk, right? So it's pure economics at this point. Um, so, so there is a drive towards that. Um, um, the, the challenge is infrastructure. Um, so we have alien and old infrastructure um, to, to fix that. Um, you, you need patient capital. Um, so there's also a very big push to, for, for countries and companies to begin to raise um, patient capital. That's um, low interest um, investment, equity, and loans. 30, 40 years type time frame um, to really begin to build a whole continent um, and really from scratch if you think about it. Um, so, so, so that's one of the reasons why I would say uh, you may not see as big um, drive or, or, or electricity issue hasn't been fully solved in Nigeria or most of Sub-Saharan Africa, but there is a drive for that and we are seeing big gains. Um, I mean, I started deploying projects in, in Sub-Saharan Africa in 2017 um, this is a, it's just a, bit, a huge jump between then and now, um, but we're, we're not there yet. We're, we're far from getting to a point where we're really sustainable. Uh, but I think I think we're we're getting there. Like not everybody in in North America, anyways, have like really caught like taken gr grasped that idea of solar energy and the benefits, you know. And I'm just always so curious. Like I'm speaking from a person personally, I haven't either. But I just know that many people haven't like really jumped onto this idea when really it's so beneficial to our lives and to the planet, <laughs> yet we don't do it. You know, you made a good point. I think, um, I think there's definitely a misconception um, about solar energy. I think it, it gets uh, mixed with like being a tree hugger, like, oh, I need to. Yes, I yes. Thank you. Uh, that's that's what I was trying to do. <laughs> 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 right? So it's, it's a, uh, uh, there are two separate things, right? Um, uh, so you, you can, <laughs> so you can, you can be wasteful and still use solar energy. You can conserve and still use solar energy. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's two se separate, um, uh, the two separate things. So I, I think it's, I think it's growing globally, right? Um, and, and I think one, one thing to remember, too, is that most of the solar plants that are out there aren't on your roofs. They're in the middle of nowhere, 
um, large-scale solar projects going on around you that you may not see right in front of you doesn't mean that it's not happening around you, um, um, especially if you're in a densely populated urban area and there are the many roofs around and then you have tall buildings around you, so it doesn't really make sense to do solar there in really at, at all. So um, what most likely happens is um, a mile away from you, there is some cheap land, or if there's wastewater, then they have a large solar plant there, um, providing power to, to your buildings, your houses, and everything. Um, um, so, so, so I think that's kind of the thing uh, I wanted to think about it uh, when it comes to solar energy is um, it's from it's purely economics at this point. Purely economics. It's cheaper. Um, in almost every scenario to um, uh, install solar if you have roof space or um, if you're an investor to invest in a solar plant versus a gas power plant versus a coal plant, almost always um, uh, versus nuclear versus any other form of electricity, it almost always gives you better returns. Um, so you see, you see companies like Total, BP, um, Shell that have, that have long-term vision to completely go into solar. They're not doing this because they love the earth. They're doing it because they know it's going to make them the most money, right? They've always known what they've done has destroyed the planet we live in. They didn't suddenly change their mind that, like, oh, now we're, we love the earth. Like, no, they know it's going to actually make them more money now. That's why they're investing, right? Um, so... So, so that's one big thing here. Yeah. Just tips on, I think maybe, I think we do have a question on tips later on, but I just wanted to maybe quickly both of you give us um, what kinds of small tips can people make in their homes right now to be more sustainable with energy and with recycling? Um, yeah, so I think from my end, um, definitely start to sort your waste if you if you don't already um because that's the biggest part right um if if we want recycling to happen and recycling to take place at a scale that um makes sense then we need to make sure that the material that these recyclers are receiving are of high quality and the only way that they'll be of high quality is if they're split off from each other because when your organic waste touches your inorganic waste, it contaminates it. And so it makes it harder um, to put it through the recycling stream. And so splitting your waste, I think, is um, action number one uh, for doing that. Now, additionally, and this is coming from me who works for a plastic company, <laughs> um, you should look at your consumption habits and how you buy, right? If you buy something, where the container says that it is reusable, meaning that you can next time. So maybe like your shower gel, you know, recently, and I'm sure you've seen this trend on your shelves, the same liquid that you buy in the rigid bottle or the hard bottle now also will have that pack that's the refill pack, right? Mm -hmm. So that's for a reason. That's for you to be able to buy the same liquid that you use and put it in that rigid bottle um, without them having to make another rigid bottle because that's more dense and consumes more resources and um, emits more CO2 in creating that than with the refill sachets or with the refill packs. And so if you have um, stuff that you use like that, you should do it. Opportunities to recycle. 
I think one of the, the some people buy from brands that they don't even know are conscious about recycling and um, and and don't engage in those activities. So one key example I can give is Mac. You guys know that if you take six empties of your Mac containers back, you get a free lipstick, right? Basically, you can take six empty containers of whether it's like your powder or your liquid, walk into a Mac store, hand it to the attendant, and then they'll let you pick out a free tube of lipstick. And then they get the containers back and are able to recycle it. So look at, look into the sustainability of what some of the brands you use are, are, are doing, right? And, and take part in those activities. I think those are um, two very easy tips that I can, I can give you. And just be conscious about what you buy um, and how you use it, right? So read labels, <laughs> for sure. You might be surprised at some of the stuff that's in the things that you use. Um, and um, be more conscious about your purchasing habits and your consumption. So that's, I just bought a jacket that is just made purely from plastic, which was, and it's warm as hell. So I think that's my little small contribution to that. And we we're forced <laughs> to recycle here in Canada. So every time, but it's just like, sometimes it's too much work because you have to rinse out the bottle and put it into the, and it's just like, I just want to throw the thing into it. So laziness forces you to just do what you need to do to get it done. But I'm now like listening to you now. I'm like, shoot, I'm, I've been lazy. I need to do better and cut down on our waste. I want to say too, like I was thinking, I I think this topic is so fascinating, but um, like fast fashion, you know how like H&M before they, they really had, I mean, I, I saw this documentary and I, I remember saying to myself, oh my gosh, I have to buy like just things that are made right here locally, but it, it gets expensive, you know, and it's like, you have to pick your battles. And, but I did see, I think in response to H&M having such that like this thing hanging over their head that they produce so much fast fashion um, that now you can go into the store and take your clothing there and they'll the fabric so I think you know even if it's like Chinidu how you said before even if sometimes things are economically driven like to save their brand (laughs) that's what they do right they have to like retort in a way that it's going to be benefit like show that they have some sort of moral compass and that they're socially responsible but um, fast fashion I think is a good one because like we are so quick to just you know it's cheap let me buy it why would I spend $50 on a t-shirt when I can spend, like, I can get 10 for $50, you know? And and Nicole, you'll be surprised. I'll just chime in before Chinadu jumps in on the energy tips. Um, That whole textile and fast fashion industry is right up there as one of the um, biggest sustainability issues of our time. It's right up there with the oil and gas. It's right up there with um, plastic in the environment. It's right up there with eating meat, um, it's, it's right up there, right? It's, it's a huge one. And, um, yes, there are a lot of clothes uh, that can be made, uh, from recycled plastic. I know that some sports teams have switched their jerseys, um, to, uh, material made from recycled plastic. Um, IHG just signed on to start using hotel fabric. Um, so luxury, bedding that's made from recycled um, um, plastic. And so there's, I think that there's a wave coming, but it's just not happening. So I would say um, from a home point of view, uh, 
So usually the, the biggest consumer of electricity in your house is um, heating and cooling. One way to reduce your heating and cooling costs is uh, just insulation. So how, how well is your, is your home insulated, right? So it could be changing your windows. Um, it could be just adding more insulation. Um, and then there are also newer brand um, appliances um, that are much more energy efficient. Uh, so I'd say heating and cooling takes about 80% of your energy usage. So just by focusing on that, um, you can really begin to make a difference. Um, the second thing is, is lighting. Uh, so if you don't use LED lights now, you, you're essentially wasting money. Uh, the, the difference between the energy consumption of LED versus um, incandescent bulbs or even fluorescent bulbs is, is huge. It's like thousand percent. So if you have a hundred watt um, bulb, um, the amount of light being produced can be produced by a, a five watt bulb. So that's 100% to 5%. It, it doesn't make sense to ever not have LEDs in your house. LEDs come in every color, every, every want. So it can, it can be, look just like your old school bulb if you want to. Um, so so I, I think, um, like in our house, we have almost all LEDs um, um, in the house. Um, and then we, our cooling is, is all um, energy efficient. Um, we couldn't change our windows because we don't own the house. Um, so that's the only thing we haven't, we haven't done yet. Uh, so, so I think that's really it, right? And, and if we, we, we do it because it actually saves us money. Like it's not a, uh, it, it's good for the planet, but it actually does save us money. So we, we consume way less electricity now than we did when, we, when I first moved here because we changed our uh, cooling last year. Yeah, no, this year. Between last year and this year, we changed our cooling, um, and then we can see see our electricity costs go down very very easily. So, um, so yes, I would definitely say that from from a, you as an individual, if you want to um, um, conserve energy in your in your home, uh, that's one thing to do. Um, you as an individual, also, if you want to help move the planet forward in um, uh, green technology, um, pick where your money goes to. Um, so, where do you bank? Where do you invest? Where is your 401k? I don't know what do you guys use in, in Canada. You don't use 401k. Our, our RRSPs and yeah, that's his registered um, retirement registered something fund savings plan. Okay. Yeah. But, but you pick what what they buy with your money, right? You pick what yeah. companies they okay. invest. Yeah. yeah. So so pick pick companies that are forward thinking. Pick companies that are investing in clean energy. And so so make your money make sense. And again, even with where you where you shop, so pick. Companies that recycle, pick up, so 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 vote with your with your pockets, right? Um, so it's one thing to talk about being green and clean. It's another thing to use your use your money um, where it makes sense. So if you if everybody told their their retirement funds, and you can only invest in companies that are, are clean, renewable, and sustainable, that would change the whole plan because that's where we all get money from, right? So the the cheapest source of capital for countries, for companies to raise for infrastructure, it's retirement funds. So when, when, when you see a bridge being built or you see a big infrastructure being built, they are tapping into your retirement funds to fund that infrastructure. So if you can then pick where that goes to, that makes a big difference. So you do actually have economic power if you pull it together and we move in one direction. Um, so that's one thing, one thing to just keep in mind. Honestly, I would have never thought of it like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's making me think that 
Ajwa, I need to get in touch with Celestine. I'm about to call her actually right <laughs> and now. ask her where where exactly is my money going? I'd like to know, please. I am I'm, after this call. I'm about to call her because I'm like, I'm just like, oh my gosh! So you, know who, you put Celestine in trouble. I don't even know who that is, but Celestine is in trouble. I'm just like, I just can't. I'm sitting here baffled. Like me too. It's like I'm mind. I'm so grateful, first of all, that you guys are to talk to us because I I knew bringing you guys on will be beneficial, but I wasn't expecting to be this mind blown. Especially because it's so like minute, and you and it it, it yeah. is something like you know you you just said that we can empower, like we can make the difference. We really can, and I think sometimes people think. If I if I put paper in the recycling bin as opposed to the garbage, am I really making a difference to this earth? But what you said about like where your money goes and you choosing to invest in organizations or companies that are clean and uh, support sustainability and all that kind of stuff, I think is really important. And it makes me think too, also with um, what you said, Manta, that like really it's it's like what what, what shift changers and change makers like you both are saying is that it's like let's just go back to the basics like we're just living in a world of overconsumption so it's like let's just go back to the basics you don't we don't need as much as we think we need and if we just go back to sort of like not primitive but like just the basics we would be fine i think there's there's a lot of like psychological things that go into the way society has like constructed what we think we need you know and so it's just also interesting. Yeah, I feel like my, my head <laughs> is like, you know, that, that emoji where it's, your head's exploding. Yeah, I'm just, that's what I feel like. I'm just sitting here. I'm just like, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I feel guilty too. There's a sense of guilt that I'm carrying because I was just thinking, my, my mom is very good at like, I'm, uh, me and my dad are so bad at wherever we, whatever room we enter, lights, 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 lights. I like the room to be bright. And my mom and Kakra are like, turn off, turn off, turn off, turn off, turn off. And I'm like, damn, I didn't read. I'm like, always oh, say, but Jesus said, let there be light. That's my use. Every time they complain, I'm like, but Jesus said, let there be light. You know, and I'm just not realizing that my need for light in every room is wasteful. And even like, if we live in an apartment building and most people in Toronto live in condos or apartments, so sometimes we there's very little that we can do in terms of how energy is used like i mean in my little apartment i can but yeah we need a break now because i'm just (laughs) i'm mind blown and i'm just excited to talk more because i feel like by the time this conversation is done I am going to go into my house and start changing things. Man says clapping her hands. And I heard when you said the meat part, I was like, girl, don't. I know. Trust me. I was like, oh my gosh. Listen, I'm I'm guilty of that meat part. And don't get Shinadu started because he has another meat conversation that he could have have with you. Oh gosh. You guys are going to. Now I'm going to let that peanut soup I'm about to make is about to be vegan peanuts. Oh Lord! Anyway, I, I I already I I've already like Googled Canadian LED light company <laughs> that I can invest in. So <laughs> the guilt has you know it's, it's started. Kind of yeah. 
Yeah, let's let's take a break. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more of Mansa and Chinedu who are just going to continue to make us feel guilty about our <laughs> sustainability and about but it's amazing because child, yeah, we need a break. All right, we'll be back shortly. back everybody so we're going to continue our conversation and um, this can whoever wants to answer it but please both of you answer it actually um, as a married couple both of you work in relatively similar fields sustainability and environmentalism um, and solar energy as we've been speaking of so do do you ever work on projects together or since if you are working in separate companies and organizations like have you ever come together and thought hey you know what what if we teamed up and we created this product or you know share ideas and and um do you i'll start with that part of the question first so kind of like do you work on projects together share ideas and is there anything perhaps in the making that's just the two of you that you'd like to share that's not yet a secret kind of thing <laughs> i think <my> <laughs> I think my <laughs> um, so Nicole, no, unfortunately, we currently do not have any joint projects together. I think an, a definite benefit of both of us working in the sustainability space or in a space that we um, that is quite similar is that we can have conversations around these, right? And we bounce ideas off of each other. And um, you know, Chidadu is an entrepreneur. I work for big corporates but um i do projects in a in a market that i guess is quite um uncharted and so i get to kind of build projects and get that ownership mindset similar to an entrepreneur would do what what someone called it something a week or a week and a intrapreneurship <laughs> so within my company i'm an entrepreneur <laughs> um and um basically because of that i have a lot of stuff around my projects and my ideas to Chinadu and um, he's, he's, he's got the business smarts. He's, he's super savvy about that stuff. And so I bounce that off of him. And then on his end, um, he definitely bounces stuff off of me too and shares um, information around his projects, things that are going right, things that are going wrong. Um, because we work in similar spaces, we understand, right? The nuances of both of those spaces. So I think that's definitely the benefit, but Currently, we do not have any projects together. We've spoken about some ideas. We haven't moved on anything. So you don't have a do? project that is going to, <laughs> you're not trying to take over the world together. Okay, noted. Maybe in the future, <laughs> there's, a, there's an upcoming project. <laughs> I like how you're quiet. <laughs> oh, are you feeling guilty? I don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> I try to work on projects with my wife. Um, she, she always refuses. Um, she doesn't want me to stay in her good name in her company. She doesn't think I'm a good uh, um, person. So, so yeah, so I, I, 
I, I don't agree with the words that she said, um, <laughs> but, but it's fine. <laughs> That's all I'll say. So, but, but um, I guess to be to be serious, um, yeah. So we, we work in pretty different spaces. Um, there is a huge um, opportunity to really work together on projects. Um, but yeah, but we do bounce ideas off each other uh, just in general about business, um, um, operations, dealing with people, um, trying to figure out just how to get things done. Um, so, so we definitely bounce ideas um, when it comes to that. Uh, but we don't really have any plans to, um, let's say, start a company together uh, or work on a project together. Just because, again, it's really different from what we do. Um, we, we could. Obviously, in the future, begin to co-invest in, in, in companies and businesses. But but as as of now, yeah, pretty pretty separate when it comes to projects, except just sharing ideas on how to execute um, projects most efficiently. I like that. I I like the fact that you, you you're supposed separate, but you but it's similar, and it's good to have someone who you may not necessarily be in the same field, but you're in the same vicinity so to talk these ideas with um thoughts you know especially um chine do you being an entrepreneur and mansa being an entrepreneur um things that maybe she gets she can share with you and vice versa and how you both can succeed in what you do i like that um i really and i, and I have to say it's so nice like just to see the support the support yeah. between the two of you because um you know, and it's good. I think like, I, I think sometimes if I, if I worked with my partner in the same field and industry, like it's good to have separation <laughs> too, you know, it's like work together, live together, everything together. So it's nice to have a separation, but good to, and yeah, it's good to bounce ideas. I was thinking too, it's good that like both of you actually like support the same causes, because if it was something where one of you were like working for this you know, huge tobacco company that's using toxins and another person is like trying to, you know, save the world. It'd be, it'd be interesting conversations, but <laughs> good to know you both are on the same page at least. I'm sure you guys have heard of Akon's Wakanda he's building in Senegal. And from what I'm hearing, um, that Ghana is trying to do this, a similar thing, building a sustainable city and super city and all of that. Um, I don't know if Nigeria is doing the same, but I'm sure African countries are, re are thinking about how can we build this super city, super country, whatever. Um, what do you think the two, what role do you think the two of you can play in in building sustainable futuristic cities in Africa and how can those of us in the diaspora help me, help you make such a feat possible? Whoever wants to go first. <laughs> I think Shinedu should go first on this one. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, I unfortunately um, don't know too much about that um, beyond what I've seen mm -hmm. um, on like articles. Um, it's, so, so like with the Acorn City, it's, I've, I've read articles and press releases and it, it's fairly vague exactly uh, the details of, of um, what it's going to look like and, and how it's going. Um, and I honestly don't have that much expertise when it comes to like cities um, and urban areas when it comes to electrification. But, but what I would say um, when it comes to 
and really supporting even projects like um, uh, like um, Akon's Wakanda or what Ghana is doing or any futuristic whatever is happening in this continent. Um, I'll go back again to like you can only make these things happen with economic power, right? Um, um, so you should ask yourself, okay, so how, how is Akon funding the city? Like who's actually funding it? Uh, is it Africans? Is it Africans in diaspora, or is it Europeans and Americans? Um, if it's Europeans and Americans, then we're we're back to square one, right? We're, we haven't changed in the last 400 years. We're, we're economically hooked to um, to the rest of the world, right? Um, so in, in, in 400 years ago, we we sold um, people and products, and now we're selling our future when it comes to um, to debt and investment. Um, so each time a country raises a country or a company in the continent um, raises funds from Europe or, or, or US or Asia to build infrastructure. Um, and um, what that means is the infrastructure does not belong to the people of Africa. It belongs to who owns um, the, the debt or the equity. Um, so you should begin to think about what happens when the, the, the infrastructure is unable to make payment of the debt. Who's going to come to take your bridges, your roads, your cities, your houses? Is it going to be Africans or not? Um, so then, if you begin to think in that light, as an African in Africa or in diaspora, um, you should begin to think about how you can make your dollars, um, both US and Canadian dollars, um, or, or euros or, or pounds, whatever you have, um, begin to add value in the continent. Um, so. Um, Ghana raised a lot of money last year in the diaspora fund. It's a 40-year bond, lowest interest rates in, in within West Africa ever, um, and it was mostly um, from Africans in the diaspora. Um, right, that's a huge deal, mm -hmm. right? Um, because again, it, it's it's we shouldn't make it too complicated. It's, it's all about um, economic power, right? Who is who is actually funding these projects, right? Akon City is um, $6 billion. Um, he doesn't have $6 billion, we know that, right? So yeah. he's raising money from other people. Uh, do those people look like you and I or not? So he can build a nice futuristic city in Senegal, but who actually owns the city, right? So, 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 um, so, so, so that's, that's one thing you can begin to think about is you can invest in government bonds, you can invest in, in companies, um, in Africa, you can directly invest in people. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of um, crowdfunding platforms that directly invest in small companies or small, um, small farmers or, or businesses, whatever it is, um, in this continent to actually help give them access to capital, right? So I think there's definitely space for donations, for charity work, but there's a huge space for investment where you actually get returns back, right? Um, so if you think about, I think the whole of this past, or this week, um, individual investors um, basically pushed the um, GameStop, um, games, um, games, uh, what the company, um, GameStop um, yeah. stock um, um, by 800%. And we have that individual power to do that in Africa, right? Um, uh, just by investing. And it doesn't mean you have to be a billionaire to invest. Um, the same way, um, essentially, the whole American economy is built on individuals owning homes. Um, so you put your small 5% down to buy a home, um, and then that gets leveraged and all of that. That's the same power that you have um, to really build an infrastructure 
um, in this continent. Um, so, so my view is if you want to make a difference, make it work with whatever money you have. Um, so if you're, if you're currently investing, invest in uh, and um, their bonds, so government bonds, uh, there's no, uh, between Ghana and Nigeria, they've never defaulted on, on a government bond for the last 40 years. Um, and they usually bring out, I think, between nine to 15% interest rates. You can't live in the US. US interest rates on bonds is 0.25, I believe the last time I checked. So you could be investing in Nigerian government bonds or Kenyan government bonds and have a return between eight to 15% and actually make a difference in the continent that you say you love, right? Um, you can invest in, in companies, you can invest in individuals, and you have high returns. Um, you have higher return, but obviously a higher risk. So if you say, I have no risk tolerance, invest in, in government bonds. Um, it's, it's out there, it's available for, for you to do that. Then what happens is you then be, be, be the ones to own the future of Africa. Um, so so that's, that's kind of my long view for when it comes to kind of infrastructure and, and, and all of that. Um, in, in this context. <laughs> Nicole, are you, blo yeah. are you blown? <laughs> I am, I am. Are I'm thinking too, like, um, it, it is, I think that if we looked at it in a way where, I mean, and, and this messaging is out there, but I think if it was, like, if it was out there even more to say that, like, you are, if you invest in this company, even if it's a small percentage, like you are an owner of that company, you are um, a contributor to the, sex, the success of the future of that company and the industry. And like, it's really making me think about like how personally, you know, we're gonna call Celestina after and <laughs> really ask her about her own investments. Um, but I think too, like the idea too of investments, which is a whole other episode and conversation, but I think that too is sort of intimidating for some people when you think about like, you know, how, do, where should I put my money? And it is true. I think with the, the, the industry of like solar energy and, and all these things that we are talking about today, it is sometimes I think maybe people might think it's high risk, but, but I think it takes a special kind of person or just to know like a special kind of person who, who is in the industry to give you the foresight to think so far ahead to think you know what this is solar energy and um is is the way to go like this is the direction to go not only is it the direction to go to make money but it's also to save our planet basically you know so it's um it's really interesting i wanted to ask if um I think this was a question I had earlier, but do you have any, like, if there was a book you could, because, like, I'll read myself to death, but if there's a, if, is there a book that you would suggest that would talk about both of those kinds of things, like investing economically into, like, solar energy, for example, um, so that we can make a difference? Like, is there anything that you've read, maybe... Or it, it, like it doesn't even have to be a book, an article, podcast, anything that you've listened to or read in the past, you know, or something that's mm. been really meaningful so, to you. So Nicole, let me jump in here for Shinadu because I think the same um, types of um, revelations that you're having as he's talking um, is how I felt. Um, when we first ever talked about this stuff, right? I've become significantly more financially savvy since I met Chinadu. I thought I was okay, and then I met him, and 
I mean, since then, I feel like my thoughts around what I do with my income, how I plan out my spending, how I invest um, have changed radically. So even though um, I may not, and, and maybe, and, and he as well, um, may not have any one direct source to point you to, to, um, to gain like all of this information, I'll say follow him on his like LinkedIn or one of his platforms and maybe he doesn't share as often as he used to, but I'm trying to use this as a cue to let him know that his thought leadership <laughs> is extremely needed in this space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, be, you know, be, because like you said, this information is out there. You know, it's, 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 it's general knowledge for people who work in that space. But if you don't tap into someone who works into that space, you would never know. Um, and so Chinadu, I, I think it, it's time to start your, um, to start your blog. Yeah. <laughs> and have him on a live. He's looking away. <laughs> you need to have him on a, like Fufu and Pop needs to have him on a live to talk about these things. Cause maybe one of these days we have a live with you and you can talk about this. We need to, you need to do more talking about this Chinadu. Or, or, you know, like to, to, to support Mansa's push for you to go onto social media, even if you did like, like one liner tweets because it just like enough to get somebody thinking to like look it up because like you said all these it's also also what Mansa said like it's these untapped things for us personally because it's not something I think about on a regular basis but it's like it is something I should be thinking about on a regular basis if I want to not be in one of these like doomsdays movies, you know what I mean? Like we need to invest into our planet. And I think like, again, we just take it so for granted. Mm -hmm. So finding ways that we innately wouldn't think of is, I think is really important. Yeah, I think, um, sorry, so one thing um, that's kind of, I guess, less stressful if you if you look into it. So I know, um, at least in the US, I'm sure it's equity. So there are mutual funds or indexed funds that are directly tied to certain missions, right? So you can buy a mutual fund that only invests in um, African government bonds, right? Or that only invests in clean energy. Um, and then really all you need to do is go to your retirement fund owner and say, hey, move all my money to these kind of um, funds going forward. Or if you, um, like for me with my, in the US, you have your 401k, you can control where the money goes. So, so for me, I'm like, yep, I'm going to move my mutual funds onto these kind of companies. Um, that's like a low, easy, you don't have to research um, the mutual funds. Um, um, do all of that. They have their perspective, but they say, "Hey, I'll only invest in clean energy. Here's um, here's how I'm going to um, evaluate what's clean energy, um, and then you put your money there. And then there are fund managers that do all the work for you, so you don't have to kind of like overly stress yourself about that." Mm -hmm. um, I sent two links um, on the chat too. So one um, is Energy Gang. Um, it's a podcast that I listen to. It's a U.S. podcast, uh, but if you're if you really want to want to know like what's happening in the energy, at least the clean energy space, they, they, it, it's it's pretty interesting um, um, for that. And the other one is if you're uh, Nigerian or even whatever, if, whatever, wherever you're from, and you want to directly invest in 
um, individuals, so these are small companies or individual farmers in Nigeria um, called CrowdInvest. Um, you can directly invest. Um, so, so we did like two thousand dollars in, um, I mean, uh, in, into a, a project, and the project I think was either for chickens or or pigs. So basically, you're an individual chicken farmer, and like, okay, I need money to buy eggs and buy food for my chickens. Once my chickens hatch, I'm going to sell it, and then once I sell it, um, part of the profit goes to you. Um, and then the good part is that that platform is insured. Um, so if the farmer has losses due to natural factors like like COVID, for example, or rain or something, your your capital is in, is is um, is insured. Um, so it's really low risk, and it's like twenty percent, twenty four percent return in a year. So in a year, I'm gonna get twenty four percent back. Um, and you're directly investing in individuals. I was going to um, say, I think that's the part that's like, I think is the a really big selling feature. Of course, aside from getting that 24% um, return, but it's the idea that you're investing into some somebody individually. And I think it helps when you can see, I'm on the website right now. So it's like, yeah, you can actually see what people are, like their projects. So I think that's really, that's, that's really amazing. Um, we have to tag them in our, so for people who are looking for resources, we'll tag the podcast and we'll, we'll tag this website as well when we're promoting the post so people can read and hear these great yeah, things. And, yeah. and, and, and decide to invest too. Um, but moving on, um, Mansa, this question is for you. Um, in Canada, recycling, I mean, you know, anybody chime in, but this one is... Um, start start we can start with Mansa. this recycling is a really big deal here in canada and every home um we are given a recycling bin and then like Adra said earlier on a compost bin um what do you think are the challenges and successes that africa has done to improve recycling and also disposal of of waste and garbage right so um nicole i think this is this is one of the major differences um, between developed and developing, right? Mm -hmm. In the developing world, there are so many competing priorities that waste, which is actually something that should be extremely important, gets ranked quite low. And doing waste management the right way is very expensive. And so in trying to create systems like what you described in Canada with um, the separate bins and sorting your waste um, directly where the waste is generated, um, those systems cost a lot. And so when municipalities or governments in our side of town look at where to put their dollars, some of them live in places where they have constituents who some of them don't have access to clean water, some of them don't have access to any energy um, and um, other uh, community issues. And so they, they choose to put their dollar somewhere else. Um, but the, the key to turning that system around, and this is something that is happening and, and happened um, in Europe to help to drive recycling, is holding someone accountable. And so what you'll hear about in the European context a lot is something called extended producer responsibility. So extended producer responsibility or EPR is a system where every brand that puts something out onto the market. So Nicole, you 
um, you start to make a beauty brand that you call it Nicole, Nicole's brand. And you start to make products for every container of product that you make, you'll have to pay a certain amount on that container that goes directly towards the management of the waste from when your product is consumed. And that's what extended producer responsibility is. It means that producers are responsible or have been responsible historically for the products that they make and what they put into the bottles and the jars and the containers. But now that responsibility is extending beyond the life cycle of when the product is finished. It's now like, okay, the person has used your stuff. Now what happens to the container after they're done? Mm -hmm. And you are still accountable for that. And so based on that principle, all of your favorite brands that you know in many countries are now obligated to pay a certain amount on everything that they produce, which is used to manage the waste from that amount, uh, from that particular um, um, product. And managing the waste means anywhere from it being recycled to it going into lucrative end uses. Some are going from um, going towards making energy, so energy recovery. Um, some are being used in innovative end uses like infrastructure um, and, and other, other things from waste, right? So um, this principle is a way to create that financing gap that we currently have in the African markets. Because if you, if, you, if you went to your typical grocery store in Ghana, you would see local brands, a lot of international brands, um, and some brands that you can't even peg where they came from, but they're selling into the market. So what happens to their stuff after someone is done using it? And I think that the wheels are turning. In Ghana, for example, um, I currently sit on a platform where we're working towards creating extended producer responsibility for Ghana, where producers will have to put out that money to help manage the waste of the products that um, they put out into the market. And this is one way to get to um, the level of, um, of waste management that you just described, right? Being able to sort at home. So how are the separate bins being funded? How are the trucks and the separate trucks that will pick up the different types of waste being funded? Uh, how are the recycling entities where those different waste streams will be sent to being funded? And how are all the people who work in that system being paid, right? So I think that this, this is where the world is going in terms of financing waste management and the developing countries are catching on to that. And so I'm pretty hopeful that um, there will be a turn in this space um, because when once it's, it's the law, um, companies want to comply, at least responsible companies. And so then it, it you know, it, it goes very quickly from there on. I was going to say, it makes, it, it makes such a big difference when it becomes like a law, you know, I mean, like you said, some companies who want to be socially responsible um, will have to adhere to those, those practices. So before we go on break, I just wanted to, I know like people tend to go shopping in very in more especially now if you've lost your job you're going to more affordable places to shop and i know like for instance um i sometimes go to the chinese grocery stores to buy stuff and i've noticed how 
they do not practice any form of sustainability in terms of their packaging. They use the styrofoam and the plastic um, saran wrap to wrap their produce and all these different types of things. They're not very, they're not the people who say bring your own bags, like how some of these other major grocery stores, or they charge you for plastic bags. They just give you the plastic bag so freely. And I'm just thinking here, like as patrons, are we supposed to stop patronizing such stores that are not using sustainable um, practices to either bag their groceries or to sell their groceries and what's not, but um, they're more affordable than your average grocery store here in Canada, which are using more sustainable packaging. So is that one of the ways to go? Is to boycott those stores until they change their packaging or what do we do? Right. So, um, Penny, and I think that um, you've, you've hit on you've hit on a very key point, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it's quite a, a complex area um, if you don't work in the sustainability space. Right. There are a lot. There is a lot of misinformation out there around what is and what is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And when you're considering sustainability of a product, you have to think through the entire life cycle. So I'll use myth number one, using a cotton bag or some reusable bag is more sustainable than using a plastic bag or a polyethylene bag. False. <laughs> I was it's just going to, I was going to say to, to, to Adjua, like, well, just bring a, bring your own bag, but now please dispel this myth. <laughs> <laughs> it's false. And it's false under a certain context, right? That bag takes a certain amount of energy, resources, and material to make the reusable bag. Yes the polyethylene bag also takes a certain amount of energy and resources to make it. When you weigh out the resources used to make both, in order to make them measure up equally in the sustainability world, you need to use a cotton bag like 600 times to make it weigh up to one plastic bag. Wow. <laughs> Did I know, know this? No, and, and I know I have not used my recyclable bags that many times. Same. And Half I keep getting new ones. I'll go exactly. to a conference and they'll give me a new one. I'll go somewhere and then they'll give me I was just going to say, I'll like... I'll get my one at home and buy a new Thank you. One yes. I know. I do that all the time. I go there and I'm like, you know what? Let me support the cause. And then I buy another one. And I come home and there's like a closet. You open it up and they all fall out. You know? And then I still... I just heard it happen here in my house. Kakra was going to grab one of the bags and I hear the whole thing tumbling. Yeah, it's crazy. But that is, see, like this, I think it, it goes back to like you, you know, you dispelling a myth like that because it's, it's, it's almost like it gets into, it's like a good marketing, um, a good marketing strategy because these, these companies, especially like grocery stores, they put that out there and then the herd mentality, we just follow, you know, we don't look into it. We just follow so it's important to... And I like the plastic bags because like, you know, sometimes when I come home from groceries, I, like I need to use it for bin liners in my house, you know? And so I'll just get like yesterday at Walmart, they asked, do you want bags or do you, um, do you want us to pay for bags? I just I don't have bin liners in the house. Let me just buy the, whole, the plastic bags. 
But I didn't realize that these bags that we take, we're thinking we're being more sustainable. No. <laughs> so, so I, I think uh, the data Mansa uh, gave is accurate, uh, but I would view it a different way. I, I would view it as we need to uh, use things for longer and use less things. So right. I, I wouldn't say don't use plastic bags. I would say if you're going to get a cotton bag, use it for more than two years. I mean, I've had my same um, cotton bag for maybe five years now as the NPR side of it. I got it for free from NPR. <laughs> it I always use, I've always used it. Um, it's, it's been with me for the last five years. Um, so, so I would view it maybe in that context uh, versus cotton bag, plastic good uh, type context that Adjoa, who works for a plastic company, is trying to push on us. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> guys, I, I feel like I need to come in here and defend myself. Yes. So as you can tell, and I frequently butt heads around this space, but the data doesn't lie. And as he mentioned, mm -hmm. the data that I mentioned is right. But the caveat there is that if you have that cotton bag and you use it enough times, it, it, it outweighs um, um, it, it, you know, it proves its value. Another two things I wanted to mention around this space, which, um, you know, is, is information that's put widely out there. So, Penny, you mentioned stuff being cling wrapped or wrapped yeah. in the saran wrap in the stores. That conversation actually makes me very emotional because when you think about food waste and food security, you, I mean, the data is out there one third of the food that's produced in the world is currently wasted. Mm -hmm. And in the developed world versus the developing world, that waste happens at different points in the value chain. So mm -hmm. in, the, um, in the developing world, it happens from the farm, transporting it to um, either distribution centers or to the sale points. In the developed world, it typically happens when people buy stuff and take things to their houses. And then because they have a lot of purchasing power, they buy too much, gets wasted and mm -hmm. end up throwing things out. But those pieces of plastic that individually wrap your food help to preserve it for a significant amount of time than if it was naked, giving you an opportunity to use it so it doesn't go to waste. And so when you think of the value of some of these things, you quickly realize that you need to weigh it versus something else, right? So that was the second one I wanted to say. In some cases, things are overpackaged. That's true. Um, but in, in terms of food waste and produce, um, it's a, you know, are you buying just as much as you need? If you're not and you're, you're buying in bulk because maybe you have a bigger household or you stock stuff, you might want to get those ones so that they don't go to waste because then you're contributing to a bigger um, sustainability issue. And then the third thing is around um, the conversation around the glass bottle versus the plastic bottle and which one is better because in Ghana, um, classic case, we have the Coke bottles that you buy and then you kind of have a little money on top of it. And if you don't take the bottle back, you can't get another drink because you need a bottle to exchange to get the drink, right? The money was on, in the bottle. Um, and then we switched to plastic and the issue of plastics in the environment became a highlight. So people were saying, why don't we go back to the glass bottle? The reason why it's not a good idea to reverse that is that 
the CO2 emissions from making a glass bottle and transporting a glass bottle far outweigh those of that light plastic which has been made. And the issue with the plastic starts from when the product has been consumed um, and someone wants to dispose of the packaging. So that's the area we need to take care of, right? But in terms of weighing it out and sustainability, that more dense glass bottle versus the Coke bottle for the same product, um, sustainability-wise, it doesn't make sense um, to, to revert to that. So, so those are the three I wanted to throw out there. And um, this is not an ad for a plastic <laughs> company. Should it do? It's, it's, it's giving me shady face here, but yeah. <laughs> Well, it does like it, it does make a lot of sense because like I see I go to the Chinese grocery, everything is wrapped in the saran, but I didn't know that this was um the importance behind it. It makes a lot of sense now. So I thank you for clearing that up for us and um also forces us to shop consciously when we go to the grocery store because we shop weekly in this house and the truth is do we finish everything that we buy? No we end up having to go back. So I think it's, my mom always tells us when she visits that you guys, you buy too much, you buy too much, you know, but now it's like, yeah, we really do. And it goes to waste because, you know, we cook all the time, but do we use the same ingredients all the time? So this is, it makes sense. It's, it's, I think it's, I always go back to this like idea. It's such a fascinating topic because I think the, one of the big, the big things that contributed to all of these like misconceptions or it's just this like incessant need that we just need so many things. And this has caused so, so many problems um, in, in so many aspects. But again, like just to, to bring it back to the basics of it's, it's just, it's damaging our earth and the place that we live. Um, but it's just overconsumption. Like, can you imagine, I know here in, in North America, in Canada and in the US, how much we've used Amazon during this COVID time and the packaging just on you know, Amazon alone. Like I know they too, that organization, that company has tried to do better with their packaging. But sometimes like I ordered dental floss because it was on sale at Amazon and it's like, you know, two inches, three inches. It literally came in the box a size of like a cereal box. Mm-hmm. You know, you open it up and you're just like, I mean, and I, and I know it's like recycling, but it's also, if I understand this idea correctly, like the carbon footprints or like how, how much energy you use, time, resources, energy, everything to get that package delivered for my one little package of dental floss um, and all this. And like we have bags and bags of recycling each week and we it's just the three of us three of us is like half a person we have a three-year-old son we're just like where do we get all this stuff from we are just recycling constantly so um but with that being said we didn't take a break right so i think we're gonna just take a quick break (laughs) and then we will wrap up um the rest of this interview so stay right there we'll be back she be the queen of the dance floor. Yeah, anything that you don't want, Baby girl, you know it's all love. Um, thanks everybody. We're back from our break. Um, so we often ask our guests uh, back home this question, but we enjoy hearing different points of view. For both of you, um, since you were educated abroad, um, 
your university, I believe. I, I did a little creeping, I have to say. I was looking both of you up on LinkedIn. So if it sounds weird that I say that and you may have not mentioned it, but I think you did mention it, um, I was creeping a little. So are you glad that you moved back to the continent? Um, what do you like most about living back in Africa? What don't you like? And what advice would you give anyone looking to go back home? Or move. Or move, yeah. I think Shinodu should go first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So, no, so I I love being back. Uh, I moved 2017. Q3 2017. Yeah, Q3 2017. I can't imagine myself living anywhere else. Like, um, I'm happy living in, in different. Um, Southern African countries, but I could never imagine myself moving back to Europe or, Europe or North America or Asia. I'm very comfortable here. Um, I think I'm either more sensitive to racism than other folks. Um, so for me, just the lack of racism here is just it's a huge deal for me. Um, um, so I feel more relaxed. I don't need to smile. I don't need to act a certain way to make people comfortable with my presence. So that's a big deal for me when it comes to just being alive as a human being. Um, um, so, so yeah, definitely love, love being here. Um, there, there's a lot of challenges um, in the continent. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, so to me as an entrepreneur, when I see challenges, I think of it as a market friction. So something needs to be fixed and I can make money fixing that. Um, um, so when I see all the challenges, I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. Once I'm done doing power, I can go do this next, and I can go do that next, or I can invest in by doing that. Um, because there's just huge challenges here, and just lots of money to be made doing stuff, right? So the, the, the most wealthy black male on earth made money um, and selling salt and cement, like nothing super fancy, right? Things that we need on a daily basis. So, so Dangote, um, uh, did salt um, and, uh, cement for, for, for our roads and, and for our buildings. Um, and then after he's made so much wealth, he's now going into refinery. So because we lack so much infrastructure and there's so much friction here, when it comes to getting things done, you can make so much money doing stuff. So, I mean, last year when COVID hit and we couldn't go around, there's like a thousand and one food vendors on, on Instagram. So you could order everything you wanted on Instagram People are making money doing that, making food for you and delivering to you. And groceries, we order the groceries online, right? So we bought some fancy groceries, fancy being like strawberries, <laughs> fancy groceries yesterday, was it today? Um, all through Instagram, right? So that you can do all that stuff. And, and this didn't exist last year. A lot of this business didn't exist last year. This was due to COVID. So COVID happened and then people be, began to innovate and they began to make money off doing these things, right? Um, so. So, so, so for me, when I see the challenges, I view them as an opportunity to become wealthy um, and not as a, oh man, it's really sucks that there's traffic here. Um, yeah, there's traffic here, but there's an opportunity to make money. You can uh, begin to move people and, and uh, cargo through the boatway um, or, or flights or helicopters. Like all of those are happening now in Lagos and across. Um, so I view it that way. So I, I don't see the negatives really as negatives. I view really be that as, oh, here's an opportunity for someone to make money in this continent. Um, so, so yeah, that's what we love it here. 
wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Lots of opportunity to become wealthy in, in this area. Uh, yeah, that's really all I have to add. I, I want to plug a book because uh, of something, um, <laughs> something that you said about like making, like looking at the silver lining of COVID, but also um, looking at ways to make money. Like you said, okay, there's a lot of traffic, you know, what, what can you do to perhaps make money off of it? Well, there's this good book. I didn't write it, but um, I'm reading it right now. It's called Blue Ocean Strategy. And maybe you've heard about it, but um, it's really looking for like economical or financial opportunities in like untapped markets, for instance. So like what you said about COVID creating all these like food delivery services um, on Instagram, like most people would go to the, like the well-known grocery stores or like the well-known um, the like restaurants that deliver, but you know, people have thought, Hey, well, why don't I make it even easier for people? Maybe it'll be a very, like a certain, a certain type of dish that people are looking for, but it's really looking at these untapped markets and, and, and to make um, the situation better. So, but that exactly. book is really all about that. So that's, that's really amazing. Sorry, man. So I cut you off there for a second. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say to do for president of Africa. I don't think I know anybody who is, um, <laughs> more passionate about this continent and this infection, say, because for me, I definitely had a soft position. Um, wherever I live, it's not even necessarily about the place, it's about the experiences and the people for me. Um, and so I have a softer position on where I want to be. But in the past month, I read a book um, that one of Shinadu's friends wrote actually called Press Play. And it's a book around how music brings cultural change. But within that book, in one of the chapters, he posed this question. And it, it's not a question from him. It's actually apparently a study that was performed. But it said, would you rather be poor in a rich, living in a rich country or would you be rich? Would you rather be rich living in a poor country? So... It was weird because I feel like at some point in my life, both Chinadu and I um, have traveled both for work and for leisure quite extensively. And so we have, um, we have, I guess, different perspectives about different places. But when I read that, I immediately thought about it and was like, I think I'd rather be rich in a poor country because then you could like live well. Because that's kind of the context in a lot of African countries, if you think about it. Unfortunately, you know, you, you know the image that they show of Africa and Western media is, is like the rural area or the less developed parts. But if you have money, you can live really, really, really well in Nigeria and Ghana, in Cote d'Ivoire and Senegal. And there are people in those economies who are rich, right? And they live well. And the whole thing just made me think like in the US, yes, you, you or in, in the developed world, yes, you, you, you have access to development around you. But if you didn't have the money to tap into that development, then what happens, right? Um, and um, I'm bringing it back to the other scenario where you're rich in a poor country, where Chinedu and I talk about this all the time. And I didn't used to see the value in this, but he's like, babe, if we lived in America, would you have a driver? 
would you have someone who cleans <laughs> yeah. your house? Yeah. Would you have? And you think about it and you're like, it's true. And he always uses his sister as an example because we talk about having kids and his sister has two kids and has a nanny for each kid. And so we were like, listen, this is the epitome <laughs> of like <laughs> being able to like live well. And if, if, if you, you lived in the U.S. and you have that context, and then you move here and suddenly that buying power, um, what you have access to with your money um, changes so drastically. I think it's a good thing. I think that that's a great thing. And I'm just understanding the value of that and tapping into that now. I think that I didn't really care. Like Chinadu would talk all the time about when he lived in the US and be like, you know, I'll work a 10 hour day and come home and do my own laundry and cook for myself. Are you serious? <laughs> In Nigeria, someone will do it for me. I can pay someone to do it for me. Yeah. And no, so I think so that true. definitely, you see, so it's like you have to weigh out what you are looking for, right, in, in, in that context. And I think for both of us, we've definitely agreed that um, even though there are nuances to living here, stuff isn't always efficient. There's traffic. Mm -hmm. um, there are power issues, but even in there, you have some control, right? You can take control of what you do um, with your energy situation. If you go for solar or if you even um, solar hybrid solutions with generators or whatever you do, but there are opportunities to take control of some of those things. And the things that you can't control, you just need to channel your inner zen and, and take it from there. But you definitely have the opportunity to tap into a certain quality of life that you can't um, in, the, um, in the developed world unless you're part of the 1%. Right? And, I mean, and it gives you that opportunity to spread the wealth, right? Because if you have the wealth in a country that's developing, um, then you have that opportunity. Whereas, like, if you're living in the U.S. or in Canada, like, I could... I can't even afford one nanny. <laughs> like I can't, I can't afford one nanny. So, I mean, it's like it, you have this mentality too here. But I mean, I guess it, it's, it's all within context because it's like kind of like a survival mentality here. It's just things are so expensive. Cost of living is so expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're just trying to like, trying to make it. Um, Every time I hear people talk about going back home, my, my, um, my spirit is being pulled <laughs> but I'm like, there's things I need to finish off here to move. And I mean, I hate to say this and it's stupid and forgive me to, for saying this, but I don't want to go back home a single woman again, because <laughs> it, it's annoying. Even this past Christmas, I went home. I mean, Mansa, you and I had conversations over some of the comments people made about me and then toppled it off with, so I want, um, with being single, I know there's no shame in it or whatever, but I'm like, if I'm going back home for good, then I want to make sure that I'm going with whoever. <laughs> so then people are like, so all this time you went to Abroach, what did you do? You know, when you were abroad, you know, it's stupid. It's, but that's my own little, um, what do you call it? That's uh, your qualm. My insecurity or my self-esteem thing that I'm still dealing with. But hearing about the conveniences, every time my parents come to visit, um, they love to come and visit, but then my mom, God bless her, and Mansa, your poor aunt, is turned into a slave because she's now having to do all these things that, you know, back home, she pays somebody to do, you know, like cooking, cleaning, 
all of those things. And I look at my living room right now and I'm like, yeah, we need to clean it. And I wish I could pay someone to come do that for me right now, or even vacuum or whatever. Those are the things that you take, you um, take for granted living back home, but it's also giving someone employment so that they can feed their family so they can look after their family and they're not living in abject poverty. Whereas here, most of us, if you live in Canada, like they said, the average person in order to be above the poverty line has to make six figures. Most of us don't make six figures, you know? Um, so we're, it's basically hand to mouth. You can be working in a bank in a senior position and you're, it's hand to mouth. You know, you've got the mortgage, you've got um, bills, you've got this, you've got that. By the time you're done, you're... Um, money left for consumption is very little. All you can afford is to go to the movies or something. Going for a trip, I see Africans are able to travel so frequently. Whereas here in the North America, we have to save up for a whole year to do one good big trip, if possible, <laughs> you know? So it's definitely like, I love talking to people who've moved back home and hearing their perspective. When I moved back home a few years ago, it was a very different world. Um, but hearing now about development and growth makes me think, should I eventually make that move? You know? So yeah, I love hearing that. Anyways. Yeah, no opinion. I think um, if, you, if you are considering a move, um, the time is definitely now. Uh, but as my chief, my chief planner um, sitting next to me would say, <laughs> make sure you have a plan. Yeah, <laughs> when you're coming, um, you know it's it's not it's not an easy market, and you need to prepare yourself for that, right? You need to come knowing those realities that it's it's definitely not an easy place. Stuff doesn't work the way that it does um, on the other side, and you have to roll with the punches, right? But um, if you have that same fever for this place, you want to see this place grow, and you see a role in it. I think that the time is definitely now to do that. You've seen everything going on in Ghana with the year of return and then beyond the return, which is now. Um, and, and people are doing it. People who are not from Ghana are moving to Ghana and, mm -hmm. and taking up space, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Definitely worth thinking about. Anyway, so we are in our, at our last question and it's Black History Month in this part of the world. And we want to celebrate our Black history. Not, and we also want to celebrate our Black present and our Black future. Um, we would also want to celebrate Black love. A question to both of you about Black love in a sentence or a short statement. What is your love letter to Africa? What would you want the world to know about your love for the continent? Aside from Chinadu running for president of africa of, of africa <laughs> i was about to say i think the president should speak first <laughs> okay let's let's hear the president's words then uh yes yeah, so, so first I, I would never run for any political position uh, so, so <laughs> we take that off the table okay <laughs> yeah so it's 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 hard to explain um so i i have a uh, really a, a deep, intense love for, for the continent. So I've traveled across um, Nigeria. Um, um, I've traveled across southern Nigeria, northern Nigeria. I've driven across northern Nigeria. I did a road trip once across really all of northern Nigeria. 
Um, I've done projects in Togo, in Ghana, Senegal, um, else? Yeah. Kenya, uh, South Africa also. And each, each country I go to, uh, the, the cultures, um, the histories, um, how we are connected and how we're not connected um, is it, just so, so big. Um, thinking through how really we, uh, at, for the last 400 years we've been destroyed and re-put together and extracted um, uh, and we're trying to come together now as, as a people. Um, um, so, so that that just builds my my love for for this continent. Um, like, like I said earlier on, this is a place that I enjoy being in. Um, anytime I'm in the U.S., I'm like, I gotta I gotta get back. <laughs> I gotta get back home. Um, um, uh, I, I refuse to do any vacation in Europe. Right? I think months I, uh, I wanted to do honeymoon in Greece or somewhere. Like, yeah, have fun. <laughs> I, I, I'll Skype you from from, from <laughs> your, your honeymoon. Um, so, um, so, um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I really uh, enjoy being here. I think um, there's huge opportunities to solve problems. I think um, there's huge opportunities to re rebrand and rebuild the black race. Um, really to be equal um, in the world. Um, um, and I think this is the time to do that. There hasn't been a better time in the last 400 years to do that. Um, and and for, for that, I, I really devote my life and my work um, um, to this continent, um, to, to when I can stop, to, to the day I, I pass them, I guess. Uh, so that's, that's my statement for, for, for Africa. I, I <laughs> so you guys heard that word. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I hear you on the black race and everything because I'm 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 like this Afro. Um, I'm sorry, this pro-black person and trying to develop the black race. So, like, whenever you speak on that, my spirit is just jumping because I'm all for that. All for that, improving the black race. Yeah. Mansa, go ahead. So I. I was going to say that you heard Chinedu use that word intense, which I used in the beginning. And he said, I'm not intense. <laughs> there, there it goes. That's exactly what I was talking about. And I think that that um, passion for the continent and that feeling um, for him is definitely something that I see throughout everything that he does. Mm -hmm. um, he spoke about why he works in the solar space and why he's doing some of the things that he's doing. And it all stems from that love, right? So... For me, if I was to say anything um, um, to our continent, to write a letter to our continent, I would say that we need to love ourselves and love each other. Similar to Chinadu, um, I've had the opportunity to travel across the continent to and some of these trips we made together. Mm -hmm. And I discovered places and people that I never would have if I hadn't been open-minded and stepped out of my comfort zone and there are a lot of people who don't have the opportunity to do that but then they place a lot of misplaced hatred on what they don't know and so you know that within Africa there are countries where if you say you are from another country that they have a bad perception about then you're not welcome mm -hmm. there are countries where 
you know, there are issues back and forth. I mean, this is not Ghana and Nigeria. Ghana and Nigeria, we have, besides Jollof, I don't think there's anything else that we don't agree on. Mm-hmm. Generally, Nigerians love Ghanaians, as you can see what's happening over <laughs> here. Um, but <laughs> That's true. Um, that you know, that, that, that love, that love, um, that love outside of you know these jokes that love is that love is thing that we need we need it for ourselves as a people to look at our skin and be proud to to sit in a restaurant in your country and the waiter feels Mm-mm. more um inclined to serve someone who looks a certain way versus you his brother or his sister her brother or her sister mm-hmm. i think that that's a tough one, but this is something that is happening because people are exposed to a warped view of who we are and what we have and, and, and think that everything outside of Africa is better. No, we have it going on here. We have all the good stuff. We have the resources. All the resources are flowing this way and going out there and stuff is being made and it's coming back here and we're buying it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all the good stuff. And so I think for us, it's, it's learning that self-love and applying that same love um, to our fellow Africans. If we had that unity, I think what this continent could accomplish is, is endless. And so that's, I think, what I would say. Um, and I'm looking forward to that, that future for us where we, we know our own strength. Um, we know the power in our, in our, in who we are and, and what we can do. Right. Mind blown. (laughs) Again, mind blown. You guys definitely make the continent very attractive and palatable and, um, I know that whoever's listening, who is on the fence about moving back home, has the idea, is ready to implement it, has something they're ready to do, but it's just torn between maybe the comforts of certain things here and reluctant to give those up to move to Africa, will listen and be like, yeah, this is what I needed. This is the drive. This is the push I needed to move home. And for those who are never considered it, will start to think about it because we're seeing what is happening on the continent. We're seeing the talent. We're seeing, even when we talk about music, we're seeing people like Beyonce coming to Africa to, or working with Africans to collaborate with her last, with the album she put out. We're seeing more African talent um, being recognized on mainstream television, mainstream radio, mainstream everything. We're seeing more of our African designers um, their work being worn by people in this part of the world. Um, we're watching, I'm watching more Nigerian movies than I've watched in my lifetime. I've even signed up for a Nigerian um, um, app that has all these movies on there to um, watch these ni- talented Nigerians and talented Africans. Um, even Netflix is bringing out more African content. So it is very, um, we're seeing the uprising of Africa and hearing from both of you makes it definitely worth considering the move or at least being 
involved with what's going on on the continent. Yeah, just to be informed mm-hmm. and to learn more and to break all these, you know, myths or um, preconceived notions about the continent. But so with that being said, we wanted to thank you so much for for coming on and having a glass of wine with us. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's 12.30 or almost 12.30 here, so we can have a glass of wine. <laughs> but um, thank you so much. That was so enlightening and inspiring. For sure, share all those, um, the resources that you have shared with us. And, um, and also link your, you know, whichever social media you guys would like to to link in case anybody wanted to get in touch with you for any reason or follow you and hopefully Chinedu, you will be dropping nuggets constantly on your social media so people need to hear from you if you do choose to share or create a separate page just for that too just please let us have that tag so we can definitely share it with our audience and everything sure i'll, I'll drop my link too thank you my my Instagram is too extreme, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, he's a radical on his Instagram, guys. Don't follow him on. I, I have my private Instagram where I do my business. So I'll, I'll, maybe I'll share. I'll share that one with you. But he, he you don't want to be on his. He might scare us. <laughs> yeah, guys. Like I said, <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that you have. Um, a great rest of the day and thank you everybody for listening yes and please join us next time wash keep safe wash your hands wear (laughs) your mask and for those of us in lockdown stay home so we can be out there sooner or later in this i'm not trying to spend my birthday indoors this year no so stay (laughs) home stay safe wear your mask and yeah yeah, wash your hands. Yeah, <laughs> we all and dispose, and dispose your mask sustainably. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right, guys. Talk later. Bye.